unique look at sports that centers in on the mental as well as the physical side of sports and coaching. T.K. Griffith and Scott Matthew Callahan are your hosts, and between them, they bring over 50 years of coaching experience to the table with success in both boys' and girls' athletics. Their expertise comes from the locker room, the classroom, and their living room. Now, the Teacher Coach with TK and Scott. Welcome, everybody, to the Teacher Coach Podcast here at Brook Point Studios in beautiful Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. I'm coming at you not so live on a pretty sunny day here in May. Uh, it's May, what, 7th or 8th, guys? It's May 7th, actually, Thursday, May 7th here. Uh, we will uh, broadcast this and send this uh, episode out in about five or six days, but we're so blessed and lucky to have with us one of the uh, probably most respected veteran officials in the area named Frank McHale. Um, so we're going to go to the other side of coaching, uh, the other side of the game, which is the gentlemen who wear the stripes, uh, the black and white stripes on the basketball court. They're also, uh, in their own right, teachers and coaches in the way they interact with each other. And Frank McHale is with us. So, Frank, in case you haven't listened to the podcast, we, we really love the idea of the teacher-coach philosophy in the way that we interact with each other and the way that we um, serve or lead or, or actually we're teachers ourselves or the way that we coach. Uh, I'm not going to go into it all, but I'm wondering, how is an official, uh, in your mind, kind of a, a teacher-coach, so to speak? Well, I mean, we have to teach and coach throughout a game. Um, we also have to teach and coach, you know, the crew that we're refereeing with um, because, you know, I'm a 30-year veteran going into my 30th year coming up, and uh, it's not an easy process, okay? We have different personalities we deal with every night. We have rules that have to be interpreted. We have judgment plays that have to be interpreted. And at the same time, we have to uh, – keep people like you happy uh, so that uh, we're not, uh, you know, so that we're being fair and everybody understands, you know, what we're doing. So uh, there's a lot of interaction. It's just more than refereeing a play and, and trying to get a play right. There's, there's a lot of thought and process that goes into this. On the other hand, you know, I can't do this forever. So, you know, one of the things I've been instilled was to try to help younger officials to try to move them up the chain. And then maybe someday in the near future, I'll move into more of a, an administrative role where maybe I'm a commissioner of a league or maybe a supervisor of officials type of role, if that's something I choose to do. But, uh, you know, the education part, it, it started years ago. And now with the technology, such as Zoom calls and things like this, it's mm-hmm. made things a lot easier. Yeah. Frank, I mean, there's a crisis right now in youth sports and high school sports because we can't find enough officials. Um, can you help me understand why that is? Uh, the biggest part of that would, in my opinion, would be is the fans. Um, a lot of times they're unruly. Um, they don't understand the rules. Um, and all they want to do is, is berate people. And if you don't have thick skin, um, basically you're not going to make it here. Uh, I've met a lot of officials that, you know, have started out and by year five, they're done. They just can't take it anymore. Um, you know, I've always tried to tune out the fans as best as I can. But I won't lie to you. There's times when when I hear things I don't want to hear, and it irks at me. Yeah. Um, but you know, you gotta you gotta be selective. I mean, you right. can't go into every game throwing people out because then you develop a reputation. Right. But uh, I think when the uh, the language gets abusive, when the language gets directed at a uh, a coach or a a, a student player, yeah. um, that's when you as the official have to take on the initiative to. Uh, um, basically get administrative or uh, police officers involved to 
uh, take care of the situation. A lot of times we can't take care of the situation because it looks like we're nitpicking somebody. But when I think you do it the right way, and I've, yeah. I've learned things throughout my career yeah. as to how to handle those situations, right. um, that's the best way. But going back to your original question, that's why there's a lack and shortage. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think, too, is the rate of pay hasn't been steadily increased. Okay. So you think about it, um, you know, you drive to a game, you get there for two hours in advance, an hour and a half. Some guys get there an hour. Yeah. You work a game for an hour and 20 minutes, and then you right. drive home, and you're making 65 bucks. Right. On a varsity game. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the times need to change. And, and then you think about gas prices at $2 right. a gallon or higher. Right. Um, you know, a lot of that comes into play. But I've always done it because it's a passion of mine. I love being around the game. And, yeah. And I just love to referee. Frank, I, I want to dig into that a little bit more. H- help help a, um, a casual fan or coach, because I don't think coaches always understand officials at all. And I know I certainly probably did not. Um, Walk me through a day, a, 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 the daily life of an official. Let, let, let's say you have a game in Mentor Lake Catholic, because I've seen you on games at Lake Catholic. Um, and and let's just go from you're at work, and then what time do you leave, get there? What time do you get home? Just help help the, the listener understand what the life of an official is like. You live in Green, Ohio. so. Yep. So um, usually what I try to do, um, high school games are a little bit harder than my college games, but I try to do my research prior to. I try to get on the internet, look at what the records are of each team. Uh, if I've never refereed that school before, I try to do a little bit more research. Um, chances are I've refereed almost every school in Northeast Ohio, so that's not as big of a deal. Um, I try to figure out who the competitive players are in the game. You know, if there are any rumors, um, I may contact some referees that I know um, just to say, hey, have you had, you know, Lake Manor Catholic this week or have you had Hoban? And, you know, what do you know about these guys? Um, so we do that. Uh, I, I generally tend to leave if it's a seven o'clock game, you know, I want to be there by five 30. I want to be there at the start of the JV game. Okay. Sometimes you can learn things by the JV game. I've seen many times in JV games where varsity coaches are involved in the JV game and it creates a problem from the get go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen other varsity coaches that never watched the JV game. You know, they're, they're hitting off in the corner and they're doing their administrative stuff, things like that. But yeah. I'm usually at the game by five 30. I always try to watch the first half for sure. Not only that, but I'm, I'm trying to help the younger officials who's on the JV game that might be looking for uh, advancement to get into varsity. So I may make suggestions to them if, if they ask. I don't right. I don't just give out information anymore because people are a little bit sensitive nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but if they ask for help, I'll, I'll give it to them. Um, uh, usually, you know, the game starts at 7 o'clock. We throw it up. That game takes an hour and 20 minutes. So now it's uh, 8.30. And uh, I'm probably home at 10.30. Uh, 1045, depending on traffic and things like that. So, right. you know, leaving it, leaving it at four o'clock to go to Lake Mentor Catholic or 430 um, and getting home at 10, 1030. That's a six hour day right there. Wow. Frank, immediately after the game, when you and the rest of your crew goes to the locker room, um, before you get showered and cleaned up and leave the uh, facility, is there a time where you guys kind of talk through what has happened at least for the second half on? And is there some self-evaluation that goes on? Um, What's the process there? Yeah, I I think if I'm with guys that I really respect and trust, there's great communication after the game. Um, I will tell you, I've been to many games where guys high five and great job, great job. And then I'm thinking to myself, man, we missed six plays down the stretch. Okay. And I'm a guy that believes in instant recall. I try to remember things as much as I can. 
And this was an, another point that I was going to bring up is, you know, if I can get a copy of that videotape, it's easy at the collegiate level. At the high school level, it's a little harder. But if I have a relationship with that coach, I may ask for their huddle account and I may go in there and log in and, and try to watch the, the last five minutes of that game. Cause there's plays that I want to see that if I know I got them right, or if I got them wrong, because the videotape doesn't lie. We have to referee against the videotape and referees that aren't doing that and going back and watching themselves, in my opinion, isn't doing themselves justice because that's truly one of the ways that you get better. But back to your point, I mean, I've had discussions after games where things have went well, and I've had other discussions where they don't go well because a lot of times people just don't want to be honest with themselves. You know, they think they got it right here, but, you know, why did you come 30 feet to make that call in front of me when, when I saw it a different way or something like that? So, yeah, we, we, we talk. Um, you know, a lot of times, too, it's nice because if you, did, if you do have that hour drive home, you pick up the phone and you, you do a quick conference call with the crew and you're talking on the way home or – you're grabbing a guy from another game, bringing him into a call. You're talking about his game. And I think that's a very good, important part of learning uh, because, you know, every game is different. Every coach is different. All players are different and all environments are different. So, you know, you just have to, to, to know your environment and, and hopefully uh, you're doing yourself a service by trying to make yourself better by just refereeing the game. You know, I've, I've always said to myself, if I had to drive to Cleveland State and there was a check sitting at the scores table for a hundred dollars. Would I drive up there and get it? My answer would be probably no. I don't want that right. check. I want to referee the game to get the check. I don't want to be wrong. I hate when I'm wrong. Okay, because when I'm when I'm wrong, I just know that I didn't do a, a very good job, and um, that's not the mentality that I have. You know, you just said something, Frank, that really, really. Um, I think is meaningful. You want to, first of all, you want to earn the money. You want to do a good job for the rest of your crew, for the players, the coaches, the spectators. And that feeling of wanting to do a good job for the game is exactly what we coaches want to do for our players and our, our fans and our parents and the officials. So, I think it's an important point that you made because we're really all in this for the same reason. And that's to, to kind of produce a game that is good for kids. And if we have that mindset, I think the relationship all the way around is going to be more encouraging. And then going back to the shortage of officials, maybe we're not facing that to the degree that we are. Yeah. And, and another point to that, uh, Scott is how many times have, and people don't realize this, how many times have I left a game where my kid's playing to go referee your kid? Amen. Okay. And people don't understand that. Yeah. And then I get yelled at and screamed at and, you know, uh, you know, people have, have met me in the parking lots before and we've had issues with that, but you know, that's, that's not even fair to a referee. You know, we're not making $650 a game. It's 65. Basically it's less than minimum wage. If you break it down by the hour. Right. Okay. Uh, at least at the high school level, you know, the college level is a little bit better, but I still feel that, uh, you know, we're behind the times from a payment standpoint, but again, I do it for the love of the game. And, and uh, you know, it's for me too, it's, it's an exercise regimen. So, you know, I like, like running up and down the court. I like sweating. I like looking at my Fitbit afterwards or my Apple watch to see how many calories I burned. And, you know, it's just, it's just a different uh, way for me to, to stay involved, I guess. Frank, you brought up something that, uh, you know, and we're going to skip around here probably too much. Um, 
But I want to ask you this. You know, you, you said you, you call your partners on the way home sometimes and you reflect on the game the same way a coach will reflect on the game with his assistant coaches and everything and, and, and talk about stuff that we wish we would have done differently. I'm just curious, why, why don't um, assigners just keep you with the same partners all year long so that you can develop a teamwork and a symmetry? And, and why, don't, why don't officials just work in crews? Um, I've often wondered that myself. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, you can't have, you know, myself and two other veterans on a game every night of the week uh, because of the shortage of officials. Now you've, you know, I call those crew chiefs. Okay. So those are the guys that are on the games that are supposed to be handled to handle the situations that they arise. Okay. Now you put three solid, now you'll see three solid guys when you get to the tournament. Right. Yeah. But you may not see that all year long during regular season. And I just think it's because, you know, things are so, far spread out. I would like to get to a process where, you know, I was working with a crew of guys. Okay. Right. And I think 12 to 16, 12 to 12 to 15 guys in a crew. And yeah. those are the guys you referee with all right. year long. Right. And then you, you become more consistent because, Hey, I know what Johnny's going to call. I know what Pete's going to call. Right. You know, I don't have to worry about, you know, that I'll, there's, there's many times I slip out when I get to a game and I see a guy on my contract and I never refereed with him before. Right. Okay. Right. And, you know, I'll, I won't lie, the first five minutes of a game, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to referee more than what I'm supposed to referee, right. okay? Be- again, I'm the veteran. The coaches probably know me. They're going to come to me for help. Yeah. Uh, they're going to ask questions. And, uh, you know, I'm going to expand in my horizons a little bit is what I would say. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, then, then it's the flip side when that young official starts calling stuff in front of you, Right. Uh, then at that first time out or maybe between quarters, uh, you got to have that conversation. Hey, listen, you know, why are you making that call? Stay in your primary, yeah. um, get the plays in front of you, right? And and then we'll go from there. Right. And, uh, you know, so, you know, to answer your point, I, I just, I don't know why. I mean, we used to do that at the collegiate level. We don't even yeah. do that anymore. Is that so, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that that seems like something that we could re- remedy for the good of the game um, as coaches and officials together. It just seems like I like what you said, like if you had 15 guys in your in your um, circle that that you guys kind of rotated and a couple young guys in there, too, like maybe five of those guys right. are brand new. So you guys can bring them up. Um, yep. I, I just think that that would be uh, so much better for the game. But Frank, Frank we, we, when we, I've coached. I'm sorry, TK. Frank, when I've coached games in Columbus or the Cincinnati Dayton area, that seems a much more commonplace uh, reality. Like uh, the, the idea of crews. So is that unique to Northeast Ohio from a basketball well, standpoint? And in, in, in the tournament, we do have crews. So, right. um, you know, our sectional games were, were with anybody, but usually uh, one of our sectional games is with our crew. Then when we go to uh, districts, you know, our district final is a crew. If we get a regional, our, our regional crew, our regional final crew, and then our state crew. So they try to do that there, but they're, it's, it's not done. The other problem is, is, you know, you've got, you don't have one person assigning. You've got every league has their own assigner. So that where, that's where the other problem comes into play. You know, um, you know, if Keith Walker in the Suburban League has his guys and, um, you know, Tim Gebhardt who has his leagues up in Cleveland and, and Fred Heyer and, and other guys like that, you know, it's, it would be too hard for them to get together and say, this is, this is how we're doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, back when I was work, working college early on, you know, I worked in with the American Mideast Conference, which was the NAI League in Ohio yeah. for the most part. And only one guy had made the assignment. So right. that was Joe DeRosa. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, Joe was easy. That's how he did it. I mean, literally, we, I, ha- I refereed with the same 15 guys all year long. It was never different. And right. you learned. And back then, I was, I was what I would call the middle guy. I wasn't the top and I wasn't the bottom, but I was the middle guy. So right. I was trying to get my way to be a crew chief yeah. um, and stuff like that. So it was easier. But yeah. I think with all these assigners and the different schools, you know, like look at, look at your situation now, PK, you've right. got a, a new assigner and yeah. uh, you're, you're no longer in a league. So now you've got right. to talk to that guy and right. it, it just becomes, I think it's a tough process. Yeah. Frank, let's go back to when you decided to become an official. Um, you know, I know you, you loved athletics growing up um, from what I remember t- <clears throat> talking to you and, and I know you coach baseball with your son. So I'm sure, su- I'm sure you could have gone into coaching. Why were you, why did you gravitate towards uh, officiating and who were some of your influences along the way as a youngster? So when I was, 14 years old, I started umpiring baseball. Okay. And uh, there's a guy by the name of Joe Eaton. As mm-hmm. many of you guys oh, may yeah. know Joe, he yeah. used to be the federal league commissioner. Well, he lived in Greentown. I lived in Uniontown. And then there was another gentleman by the name of Marion Koblenz who lived in the Hartville, Uniontown area. Yeah. Well, I started working games and they, they thought that I did a pretty good job. Yeah. By the time I was 17 years old, the two of them, they were like the directors of the league. They approached me about being the umpire in chief and, being in charge of Hartville, Uniontown, and Greentown's umpires. So okay. I became a crew chief uh, okay. for umpiring. Wow. Um, at that point, I have, I was barely doing any basketball. Okay. Um, and I was uh, signed up to go to Major League Umpire School. That's wow. really what I wanted to do. Holy cow. Okay? Yeah. So uh, that summer, though, before that, I got involved in ref- – actually, that winter, I was uh, – I didn't have a winter job and I would always work at a golf course uh, in the winter, in the summertime and, and umpired baseball. Yeah. So I thought I would give my hand back in refereeing. And, um, I started working for guys like Nick Priscilla and Randy Barents and, yeah. you know, just picking up some youth games and it, it became a passion. I really liked it. And, right. you know, the thing about basketball is you, know, you never have a rain out, you know, <laughs> so you always know you're going to get right. paid, right? Unless, right. <laughs> unless uh, somebody doesn't have the check there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I started transitioning more into basketball yeah. than that. Um, uh, then I met uh, Joe DeRosa, who uh, many of you may or may not know. Joe was a former NBA referee, mm-hmm. and um, he also refereed the NCAA uh, tournament many times. And right. uh, by doing that, um, you know, it just pre- it, it just made me want to go that route. So right. I went to several camps. Yeah. Um, I couldn't get a high school game really in, in Ohio, but I was already refereeing college basketball. <laughs> so for me, it was just, let's stay yeah. on that path. Right. And, um, probably in my fifth year, I had an opportunity, uh, to go to a camp in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, they invited 50 referees across the nation. Yeah. Um, I made it down to the final three. Okay. They took the top two guys, put them in the NBA developmental program. Wow. And I never went back. Wow. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I could have yeah. maybe if I would have went back, but right, right. You know, f- financially it was, yeah. it was, it was tough because right. I didn't have insurance and yeah. didn't really have a job. I was out of college and I wanted to get my life going in a different direction. Yeah. And have you done some division one college basketball along the way? Yeah. I refereed in the horizon league uh, for seven years. Did so you? I've refereed every, every division of college basketball, Wow. NAIA division one, division two and division three. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was very fortunate there. Um, right, right. You know, that was nice. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it's not for everybody either. Even when you get there, it's not for everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a toll on your body. It's a toll on your relationship with your wife, it's a toll right. on your relationship with your kids. Yeah. And you got to be able to manage all that to, in my opinion, to be effective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, uh, 
is it financially lucrative enough at the Division One or two level, um, or is it is it not even then? I mean, most of these guys have other jobs, right? Yeah, um, at the Division One level, if you're working in the Big Ten, uh-huh. uh, the ACC, I mean, if you're working in a major Division One conference, yeah, yeah, it's very lucrative. Okay, I won't lie to you; you can make over two hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, okay. Um, if you're refereeing at a Division Two level and just refereeing Division Two. Uh, you better have another job or at yeah. least a side job. Yeah. Uh, division three. I mean, yeah. it's almost division three is almost like referee in high school. Yeah. Uh, it does pay slightly better, but right. again, you're going to have to have a, a full time job, in my opinion, to, yeah. to be successful. Let's go back to the evolution uh, that you've been on in your own refereeing career. I mean, how have how have you evolved as, as a ref in, in in your first five to ten years? I know as coaches, Scott and I um, reflect probably more individually than together, although we have we have reflected together in discussion on some of the mistakes we made as young coaches and things, gosh, I wish I would have done this better. Uh, I always go back to 1999. We had an undefeated team, but, man, I wish I knew what I was doing in the tournament as a coach. Yeah. I, could, I could have been a right. ton better. We got upset. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you reflect on, on how much you wish you would have known then. But I'm just wondering, as, as an official, you know, when you reflect on your first five to ten years, how were you different then than you are now? And if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you tell your younger self? Yeah, uh, that's a good question because uh, in my younger days, I was always the young guy, no matter yeah. how you looked at it. I was, yeah. Especially even when I was refereeing college, I was younger than a lot of the kids playing college basketball. <laughs> so that was always difficult. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie to you. Technical fouls were for me were what I used to do to get attention. Yeah. Not 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 in a negative way, but mm-hmm. in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted the people to understand that I knew what I was doing and that's how I got control of things. Yeah. Okay. If you crossed the line, you probably were gonna get a technical foul from me back in, you know, my first five to ten years. Yeah. In my world today, yeah, it's more trying to talk through it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, you're you're really gonna have to do something, drop an F bomb or you know, something like that, hit a wall, hit a bleacher, yeah. um, you know, say something derogative toward my partner uh, to get a technical foul. Yeah. You know, this past season, I called two technical fouls. And again, a lot of it was for, you know, players getting each other's faces. So yeah. pawning more or less. Right, right. Okay. I think I had one technical foul, guy dunked and hung yeah. on the rim, but yeah. nothing out of the norm, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm established now. All yeah. the coaches know who I am. Right. I'm not bragging. But, right. you know, I, I, I can handle the situation. It's not the first time they've seen me. Right. You know, there's been some – there was a high school coach this year that's in his first year of coaching, and I had him three times. And finally, by the third game, he finally understood what I was trying to tell him in the first two games. Right. You know, right. And, and then I think we we built trust and relationship there. Yeah. I've done that with, with other coaches yeah. um, across Northeast Ohio. And, you know, it's really hard at the college level because, yeah. you know, they're – it seems like there's more rollover at the college level than there is at the at the high school level. So right. a lot of times you're meeting new faces all the time, and and you got to get these guys to understand that you know we're not here to we're here to be fair, yeah. But at the same time, we're not here to cheat either, yeah. You know, and yeah. and I think sometimes sometimes you know they want a little more this year, and it's it's yeah. then it's not fair to the other coach, right? So uh, you know, my my thing would be to answer your question specifically is you know going back at my younger self. You know, I had a temper and, you yeah. know, I always, I always wanted to know that I was right yeah. Or today. I can, I can tell you if I just missed the call, yeah. you know, Hey, TK, I missed that play, but 
Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah. But you can't be the type of referee either that every time you make a call, you're over right. there explaining yourself. Right. Because if you do, if you're doing that, then yeah. you've lost total credibility yeah. with a coach, in my opinion. Right. Frank, why don't you describe for us a style of coaching that helps you as an official do your job, and then what would be a style of coaching that really gets in your way and your crew's way of doing the job that you have to do? Okay. Um, I love a coach that I can joke with. Okay. <laughs> you know, I can come yeah. over to you and say something in the, in the heat of the moment and it's, you're going to crack a smile and you're going to understand where I'm coming from. Right. Okay. I'm a funny guy. I love to joke. I am. <laughs> my mom said I should have been a comedian, right? <laughs> uh, I, I always try to make people laugh. Um, but sometimes in the heat of the moment, you have to be serious about things. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, when I have to have a hard talking to with a coach or a player, people better understand why I'm doing it. I'm not out there because I want to be a hard ass. I'm doing it because, you know, I need to set a precedent. Okay. And I'm trying to get a point across. Okay. Right. Because I could easily give the technical file signal and, and be done with it. Yeah. But that's what I did in my first five years. Right. Now yeah. I try to talk you through it. Yeah. And if you don't want to listen, so right. be it. I mean, TK, we could talk about the example. I won't mention names, but you know, the example we had uh, down in uh, at Walsh university this year, you right. know, one of the, one of the players, um, didn't like a call. Yeah. I got right in him and I told him, I said, listen, we're not going to do that tonight. Right. Next thing I knew, TK pulls him out of the game and he's talking to him on the bench. So he picked up on what I was trying to do. He diffused the situation before I had to take it. Okay. Yeah. Scott, back to your question, the kind of coach I don't like and it's <laughs> tough to deal with is the minute you make the first call of the game, they're on every play questioning every play. Right. I mean, right. you can't do that. You've lost total credibility with me if, if you're going to do that. Right. you got to pick and choose your battle. Your team's not going to shoot 100%. Your yeah. team's going to make turnovers. Right. You're not going to make the right call. You're going to be up 15 points and lose the game by three. Right. You know, so, you know, we all have to realize we're human. We all make mistakes, and, and we're going to – we have to go through that. Yeah. But – for you guys, this is your livelihood. Okay. Right. This is what you do for a living. Yeah. Mine's more of a passion and something I do for fun. Right. But I've, I've learned that, you know, and, and like TK said, I coach baseball. You know, I hate losing those close games. And especially when I know I did something that, that caused the problem. Yeah. Or, you know, I've been in situations where I was in the state tournament last year for our 11U and the umpire called our kid out at the plate and ended up sending the game in extra innings and we lose an extra inning. So, yeah. You know, stuff like that. So, yeah, that coach that's out there, you know, on every play of every game, question it. And then yeah. I, the one thing that really drives me nuts is when that coach tries to um, use my partner as an enemy. Yeah. Hey, you got to help him. You got to yeah. do this. You got to do that. Listen, coach, yeah. there's only so much I can do. I can't blow the call yeah. every time there's a foul. You know, we got to we got to trust each other. We'll talk about it, things like that. Right. So. Yeah, and Frank – your message to coaches here, like what is the best way for a coach to communicate with an official? And what I mean by that is, is there a certain time? Is it during a dead ball? Is it during a free throw? Is it during a timeout? Because what I don't like is a fan or just a coach or whatever is when a coach is trying to, to, um, I guess, uh, not, not intimidate official, but kind of show them up if you will. Yeah. The yeah. The, the hard part in, I wish they would go back to the, how we used to rotate on a foul call. So back in the day when there was a foul called, whoever called the foul would come and be the trail official, which stands right in front of that coach. 
Okay. Um, so there was, in, you could have instant communication there. You could have more of a dialogue. Now what happens is when we call that file, if I call the file from the lead, I go report the file and then I go back across the court. So what does that coach have to do? He's got to yell across the court at me to get a point proven. Well, now, now it becomes more of a shouting match versus having more of a conversation, but that's, that's the initiative that OHSAA and, and other organizations have taken. Uh, if you watch the NBA, you know, they still always put that guy that called the foul right back to where the coach is so they can have that dialogue. Um, you know, I think anytime there's shouting matches going on back, and trust me, I've shouted back, okay? I mean, again, I can shout back or I can give a technical foul. Which, which do you prefer, you know? Um, sometimes I've said the wrong thing, and the one thing that – has always been instructed to me is do not respond to comments, respond to questions. Okay. So if a guy's just yelling at me, I've probably tuned you out. If you're asking me a question, I'll give you an answer. Now you might not like the answer, but at least I'm, I'm willing to communicate with you at that point. Frank, um, I guess as I've gotten older as a coach and, and this doesn't always work, especially if I get, <clears throat> if I get frustrated or, Many times, <clears throat> if the game's not going the way I want it to go, <clears throat> but I've tried to evolve as a coach, um, where I just coach the game and, and and I don't worry about the officials. Um, that doesn't always happen, by the way, but that that that's in my dream world, and I I try to do that a lot of the season if I can. But here's my question: Do you guys respect quiet coaches? I mean, am I am I I feel like I'm losing an edge if I'm not bitching at the officials the whole time because the other guy's bitching at the officials. Whereas I would rather just coach my guys and try to do the best I can on, hey, what, what, where am I screwing up? Do we need to press right now? Should we go zone? Should we switch what we're doing on offense? And, again, you, you know how this is because we've had a couple interactions where I don't do that, but I've tried to do that. That's a goal of mine is just coach my team. Um, like, But then I feel like referees aren't respecting the quiet coaches. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one because, again, I've refereed you so many times um, over the years. I, I know what to get from you. You know, I, um, you know I, I have to make a comment. I've made comments before about your clipboard, you know, how you have that thing there. And I'm surprised you haven't broken it and thrown it on the ground yet, you know, that, that type of thing. But trust me, I've seen coaches that have done that. So, yeah. um, you know, again, I, I think and, – and I used to use Frank Lapica as an example when Frank was coaching. Yeah. If Frank Lapica yelled at you, you were probably wrong. Yeah. Frank Lapica never yelled at referees. He coached the game. Yeah. Okay. The minute Frank Lapica said something to me, I better realize what's going on. And I've yeah. always used that as an example. So, yeah. you know, to answer your question, I, I think if you're really coaching your game and you're into it, you know, every once in a while to ask a question or, or make a statement, yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but but I, like I said, you know, there, there's guys out there that, want to talk about every play and yeah. every travel violation. And one time I just went like this. I go, here's the whistle. You want it? <laughs> you know, cause right. maybe you can, maybe I can coach better than you can, and you can referee better. I don't know, but you know, that's, that's a, that could be something to that think could about. Be. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Frank, one of the assistants that I, that coached with me, uh, for about my last six years when I was at Hoban is the girls coach was Chris Pavlik. And you know, Chris, he was, uh, a high school and college official for close to 40 years. And, and Chris was just an outstanding role model for the, the kids in our program. But one of the things that he talked to me a lot about is 
A school has to know how to treat an official when he or she shows up to work again. And Chris used to do just simple things when he when he worked uh, alongside me at Hoban. Like he would make sure there was water in the officials' locker room. He would bring snacks for the officials for our games. He would make sure, and Hoban's very good about this, but someone greeted them when the officials came into the building and made sure that they got to their cars correctly. And those are things, as a young coach, I never used to think about. But do you want to talk about, I guess my general question is, like what makes you want to go back to a school to work at that school? Because like you said before, it's, it's, it's obviously not the money. Yeah, um, one of the things for me that's exciting is the, is the rivalry. You know, I love the rival games, you know. Um, you know, I was fortunate uh, when TK got to play St. – when they played St. V after LeBron left, I had the first game. And, I mean, I looked forward to that game for, for days now. Looking back, I'm not so excited about it. But, you know, I that's, those are the games you want to be on. You know, you want those high-profile games. You want, you want, I mean, that's what you work for, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you want to know that you're one of the best of the best and that you're, you're getting the opportunity to work those games. Yeah. If you're working, you know, certain schools, you know, and, and it's a division four conference, nothing wrong that there's anything wrong with division four, because maybe that's the area you live in. Yeah. Not so sure. I want to, I want to be working those games. Um, maybe, maybe down the road, but you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, if you're treated with respect and, and, and you know that you're kind of, you know, the school is glad you're there. I think that that proves a point. There's other schools. You don't even get a bottle of water at halftime. You don't even have a place to shower. I mean, and I just, we're, we're always thought of last. You know, I, I'll, I can think of a school specifically that within the last 10 years built a new gym. Yeah. And they, they built the official's locker room. But you can't even put three referees in the official's locker room. you got to put one guy in the other side <laughs> and the other two guys sit in the other side. So I'm like, yeah. you know, people don't think about that kind of stuff, you right. know? Um, so, you know, being welcome and, and honored, uh, yeah. yeah, that's definitely – and uh, there's a lot of – you know, I think there's a lot of thought that goes into that. Right. You know, I, I've always said, you know, it would be great to have a, a pizza and a, and a pop after the game, you know, and, you know, just get fed something because – Again, we we're, we're we're eating on the road on the way home, stopping. But yeah. you know, and I and I honestly tell you this, I think the schools that take care of you, you're going to get the better referees because right. they know what it's all about. You know, yeah. Frank, who were some of your influences that you looked up to when you got into officiating? Um, you know, guys that kind of paved the road for you a little bit. Yeah, um, definitely Joe DeRosa. I mean, you know, he's like, you know, he. I was probably the first referee that he took under his wing when, when he moved to Ohio and started his referee supply business in Barberton. Yeah. Um, so I'm very honored. I've, I've learned so much from Joe, um, you know, Bill Eck, uh, Bill is all now our college supervisor. Uh, he works in the big 10 and several other um, division one conferences. Right. Mike foot. Yeah. Uh, Mike was, Mike was always a, a stone hard nosed guy, but yeah. he also refereed the game and just didn't take any crap. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he helped along the way, uh, Craig Griffith, uh, yeah. Dan Fowler. I mean, all these guys were like the guys that I looked up to right. in Northeast Ohio. And those are the guys, like when you mentioned, when we had those crews, yeah. those were the guys, those were, those were the crew chiefs in my crew. Right. You know, I wanted to be those, I wanted to be those guys, Yeah. you know, and none of those guys are still refereeing, uh, for the most part anymore to Bill, Bill still is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't get the opportunity to referee with Bill cause he's refereeing right. at, a, at a higher level than I am, yeah. but, 
you know, those guys have taught me so much along yeah. the way um, that, you know, probably in my first five to seven years, that's where I gained so much of my knowledge from was just in those guys and, yeah. and sitting in the car with them for two hours, going to the game and listening to their stories and right. how they handle situations, you know, stuff like that. I'll give you an example. You know, Mike Foote taught me one time is, you know, you got that unruly fan in the crowd. Right. Well, you don't have to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Just walk over to the police officer, put your hand on your mouth and yeah. say, Hey, Mr. Police officer, I'm just over here. But you know, you see that guy over there in the green shirt. Yeah. Let's just look at him real quick. Yeah. And the cop looks at him. Next thing you know, that guy's not a problem. The rest <laughs> of the game. So, yeah. you know, it's little nuances like that that, yeah. that have helped me learn as, as I've, as, I, as I've evolved through refereeing. Yeah. Frank, is there something as a basketball coach I should be doing a better job of coaching, whether it's related to like the closely guarded rule or playing the post or the Euro step? Is there something I should be doing a better job of coaching? Because we, we coaches don't know the rules the way we should. Yeah. And then a lot of times that's our frustration. <clears throat> yeah. Um, how can we do a better job of teaching to adhere to the rules and make your job more pleasant. I, one of the things we talk about in refereeing is to say, let the play start, let the play develop, let the play finish. Okay. And nine times out of 10, you're seeing the finish. You didn't see how it started. Okay. So that's why I like to go back and watch video because, you know, let's, let's talk on a block charge play, for example. Okay. Yeah. Guys driving to the hole. Okay. When does he pick up the basketball? Okay. When did he pick up the basketball? Did the defender move laterally? Was he in defensive position with two feet on the ground in a legal guarding position? Because that's another part that we have to look at, okay? And then where does the contact occur? I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm refereeing your game, nine times out of ten, if there's contact in the torso, I'm going offensive foul. That's how I was taught to referee, okay? If you get clipped on the shoulder, on the hip, or on the side, then it's probably a blocking foul because that defender never got in legal guarding position. Um, I think to, to answer your question, you know, is we've taken the hands out of the game now, but now we've started to use the body. We body check players. We hip check players. And I think you guys, are, I've always said, I think you guys are teaching that, but maybe you're not. That's just how the players have developed. The other play is that Euro step. I mean, it's going to kill the game of basketball because I'll tell you, nine out of 10 Euro steps are illegal. Mm -hmm. If you really break it down, because you got to see when the guy gathers, where's the next foot. Yeah. You can't come down on two and go back to one. I mean, there's, we have videos that, that they put out. They make us watch on this stuff. Right. Okay. So that's, that's going to be the next biggest call. And traveling is a hard call to get right anyway, because yeah. when we referee, we're always refereeing a competitive matchup but we focus on the defender. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times, the defender is going to follow the offensive player. That's why travels are missed yeah. because we're focused on the defender. And right. most people don't understand that. You know, you're, they're watching the offense. Yeah. As a fan, you're watching the offense because you want to see where the ball is going. Right. But that's not how we're trained. Yeah. So we may miss a, a slide of the pivot foot. We may not have seen how he caught the ball and got it down. We're trying to find the next competitive matchup. And that's why I've always said is, you know, if you, more, we, we miss more travel calls than we get right. Okay. So, you know, that's why you don't see a lot of travel calls made in a basketball game. Okay. Is there a rule in college that you think is really good for the game that you would like to see in high school? Like 
the the charge block line in front of the basket closely guarded anything like that that you think's just better for the game the restricted arc play is probably a good play because then it keeps everybody it tells your defenders where you where you can where you can play defense at you know in high school we don't have that so if you want to stand underneath the basket that's legal well right. how can you defend underneath the basket so give those players a little bit of a line of what I call demarcation. So they know where they can play and where they can defend from. Mm -hmm. The problem you're going to have with that is, you know, now you've got to teach all the high school referees, how to referee that play at the college level. We've been refereeing that way for, you know, five, six years now. Um, But then you start adding that into the high school game. It becomes a problem. Just like I think high school needs a shot clock. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's been too many games. I mean, I had a I had a district final last year, not last year, the year before, and both teams held the ball. Yeah. I mean, in a district final, right. seriously, that's not what everybody came to see. Right. You know, but yeah. one guy did it in the first half, and the other coach says, "Well, I'm now I'm going to do it in yeah. the second half." Yeah. And maybe that's a, a style of coaching or whatever, right. but right. you know, I did. It was a it was a boring game. Yeah. I didn't even want to referee it when they started right. doing that. <laughs> you know, because I yeah. want to I want to have the block charge plays. Yeah. I want to yeah. get those right. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, the other play in, in college is they put the cylinder play in. So basically you can't come into a guy's physical space. I think that would be a, a good rule for high school basketball too, because then I think that would eliminate the hand checks and get off. And, and now you play defense with your feet versus yeah. playing defense with your hands. Right. Frank, one thing about, um, officiating, and I, I've always had a fascination. I, I just love the game of basketball and I have had a chance to officiate. We, <laughs> We host a um, classic in the Castle Youth Basketball Tournament every year at Hoban, and for about 10 of those years, I would always officiate the last day. Uh, Coach Kyle, did you ever do that with me? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, man, I learned a lot. I, it was really fun because it's it's a challenge to try to get stuff right, and you you know when you're wrong, and uh, and then we had some some coaches get raspberryish with us, and and you do get pissed uh, <laughs> when they're questioning everything you do. But one of the things that I've always thought uh, was really important about officiating is is allowing the game to flow. And some some people don't know how to allow the game to flow. And I think when I'm when I'm going to ask you about allowing the game to flow, I guess I want to incorporate into that question advantage disadvantage. To me, if guys would just let more stuff go, um, except maybe in the concept of this advantage-disadvantage, how does that relate to the flow of the game? Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't ask the yeah, question. I, do. I didn't ask the question yeah. right. But philosophically, where are you with advantage-disadvantage and flow of the game? Right. So what we talk about in our pregames is we say, first of all, the first call of the game needs to be spot on because really what you did by making that first call is you set the tone of how the game's going to be called. Okay. Okay. I love that game where in the first quarter, we don't have our first foul to the four minute mark, you know, yeah. because both teams went and went up and down the court three or four times. Yeah. They've developed the flow. We've tried to see what they're doing. Now, a lot of times, you know, you get a, a competitive team versus a non-competitive team and this team can't stay with this team. Yeah. So the only way they're going to stay in the game is by fouling. Yeah. So, you know, again, that's part of your pregame. You got to yeah. talk about those things. Right. Um, you know, I, I mentioned let the play start, develop, and finish. Yeah. If you call the foul in a developmental phase and the ball goes in, you blew a whistle for no reason. Right. right. Okay? Right. Um, if you let the play start, develop, and finish, now the guy gets hit, boom, ball doesn't go in, you've got a late whistle. Now you put the guy on the line because he earned two shots. Yeah. 
Okay. Right. Um, but we call, and then the, the first part of that, when I said, you know, start, develop, finish, well, you yeah. call that foul and, you know, he played through it. I call yeah. those game, well, I don't call them. That's what we've, we've determined. Those are called game interrupters. Okay. People don't want to see that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Try to let the game go on. You try to let the players play yeah. as much as they can, and then you have to interject yeah. when you feel there's a disadvantage being being yeah. made. Frank, that, that kind of connects to something that I almost always feel um, like this happens. As you progress in the tournament, and gosh, I wish we would progress in the tournament more, but as you progress in the tournament, fouls are called less and less, and officials let the game be very physical. Um is that just my imagination? You have guys that have seen lots of plays, let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. And, again, I know that guys can play through contact. Yeah. Okay? If, if we called contact, if we called a foul every time there was a contact play, right. we'd have 100 fouls in a game, right. if not more. Yeah. So there has to be that line right. as to when you call it, when do you not call it. Yeah. And I think the more experienced guys are going to say, hey, let it go. Let it play right. on. Right. You know, a guy gets knocked to the ground. Boom. You yeah. got to make the call. Yeah. And you know, the last two minutes of the game are critical. Yeah. That's, that's the part of the game that everybody remembers. Right. So if you're going to get those plays right. You have yeah. to do it. We just had an exercise that in our, at the college level, we were asked to do where we, there was like 55 playoff games in division two and division three games. Yeah. And Bill, Bill asked us to certain guys. He asked to break down takes. Okay. okay. And the tape that I got, I won't mention the game, but the first play of the game, the referee doesn't see the whole play and misses the play. Yeah. They went six minutes without a call, and yeah. then they make this call. Yeah. And it was just, uh, in my opinion, it was a lack of concentration. And, right. And, um, you know, so, but now that sets the tone is now we got to make that call the rest of the game. Yeah. And it just, the one coach got upset about it, you could tell. Right. And it, it kind of trickled on the rest of the game. So, yeah. You know, you've got to be selective. We right. call it call selectivity. Yeah. You've got to be selective by what you're calling because if you just start going out there and yeah. blowing the whistle on everything, yeah. everybody, including the coaches, the players, and the fans, are just going to be upset. Yeah. Frank, when you show up now to referee a game, and I obviously do not want you to mention any names, but what are the behaviors or the characteristics of a guy who you're like, oh, crap, I've got a ref with this guy again? What what are the behaviors or characteristics of a referee that you just don't really want to be on a crew with. And again, this is not mentioning any names. Yeah. Um, you know, certain guys are <clears throat> labeled as, Hey, I only referee at this school or I only referee for that coach. Right. So that's tough. Um, yeah. but again, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of beef about that. Yeah. I look at it this way. I'm, I'm the type of guy that if you mess up or, or do something, including right. myself, right. I'm going to say something. Okay. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I think I get a little more fearful when I work with a guy that I've never refereed with and it right. takes me, you know, a quarter or two to get used to them. Yeah. Um, because you know, you just don't know. Right. The hard part is when you referee with a young guy mm -hmm. who doesn't want to listen, okay. they think they know it all. Okay. That's where it becomes a problem because yeah. when I started refereeing, I was told to be a sponge, absorb yeah. everything you can yeah. and be like, you know, in Rome, do what the Romans do. Yeah. If it fits, Put it into your game. If it doesn't, take it out. Yeah. Remember, if you go back to that guy and you referee in front of him again and he told you to do something, you better do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, but today, not everybody wants feedback. Right. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's how I give the feedback. Maybe it's, right. 
you know, stuff like that. But right. you know, I'm just, I just try to be honest with people and yeah. tell them what I think. If, if yeah. someone asks me my opinion, yeah. I'm going to give it to you. And I hope right. you're, you know, man enough or woman enough to accept it because yeah. trust me, uh, the first camp I ever went to, I thought I was pretty good. Yeah. And uh, Joe DeRosa had a legal pad. <laughs> well, he took a red pen. That legal pad had front, back, front, and back of notes that I yeah. had to do in a 40-minute game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how do you work on those things? Right. You take one at a time. Right. And you work on them. And I just right. I just slowly started crossing them out. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, I still make mistakes. I mean, yeah. we're, we're human. I've never yeah. refereed a perfect game. I probably never will. Yeah. Uh, we've never coached right. a perfect game either. That's for sure. Yeah, Frank, I want to touch on non-scholastic basketball because I think one of the reasons we have such a crisis of a lack of officials in, in, in basketball, football, soccer, volleyball, cross is outside of scholastic basketball, for example, scholastic, inter, um, scholastic sports in general. And whether it's spring basketball, travel basketball or summer league basketball or whatever, I just see so many unruly fans and I see so many people coaching who TK and I wouldn't call a teacher coach. It doesn't have that philosophy is of we're all in this for the same reason. Do you still referee non-scholastic basketball and how important is that in developing as a referee? Well, um, when I first started, uh, I couldn't get varsity basketball games in Ohio. Just you know, I wasn't 40 years old. I didn't have 20 years of experience, and certain assigners didn't want to hire me. But I was refereeing at the collegiate level, so I took the initiative that I was going to referee men's leagues. So I went to Ball Street, I went to the Y in downtown Akron, and I mean those guys knew how to play the game, and those guys also knew how to get in your face. So for me, that helped me understand how to deal with situations, especially you know situations where there could possibly be a, be a fight. Um, so I learned to handle that stuff. But in today's world, one, I don't referee as much in the summertime as I used to one, because I referee or I, I coach baseball for, right. you know, I had, I have three boys and all of them played baseball. Uh, Andrew, my oldest one's going off to college. So Alex is not playing baseball anymore. He's just in golf and I still coach Anthony. So I don't have the time to referee the AAUs and things like that anymore. Um, but you're right. I mean, you go to those tournaments, and here's the bad part. If the tournament, the guy running the tournament listens to what the coach says, you're out versus did I get it right? And there's been too many situations I've seen of the, that's happened over the years. And I just said, you know what? I don't want to be part of it because now it's a money-making thing. And, um, you know, like I said, I've always, every time I step on the court, I try to give my best. I try to do, I try to run as hard as I can and I try to get plays right. And, to me, that's all you can ask from an official. If mm -hmm. uh, if you start getting guys that are digging in pockets and, you know, there's been guys that, you know, you run the summer stuff and then you're not getting paid. That's yeah. just that's just bad business. And yeah. I try to stay away from that. Plus, yeah. you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I can't right. I can't referee four games in a row anymore. Like yeah. that is my legs hurt too bad the next day. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey, Frank, I'm wondering um, in your experiences as a youth baseball coach. How has that made you a better referee in the way that you treat uh, officials? I mean, do you get do you get uh, upset sometimes and go off? I mean, I think I would imagine you're human and and, and it's had to happen. Um, you know what I mean? Or or, or did it make yeah. you did it make you just respect them from the very beginning? Because again, you were an umpire. I think um, because I umpired baseball and I did basketball, I think I have a little bit of an upper hand over most umpires. 
Um, I never go into a game letting them really know who I am or what I did. Some guys know me automatically. Like, you know, I'll get a guy that, you know, does baseball and he knows I'm a, you know, college basketball. He goes, Hey Frank, you know, they know me, you know? And, and I try not to let that bother me, but I've always, I've always found out that try to lay off the judgment plays, you know, because again, it's judgment. Now where I, where I get guys is, you know, I get in the rule book and I read the rules and I know the rules. I know what obstruction is. I know what interference is. I know what a balk is, things like that. So when you know the rule and you explain the rule, I've won more arguments that way than versus going up to a guy and saying, no, you're terrible. Your strikes don't suck and all that stuff. That that ain't going to work. Now, have I done that? Sure, I have. I'm human. You know, and I'm I'm trying to, just like you would, I'm trying to help my team in any way I can. Um, You know, I've only been thrown out of one baseball game in my entire (laughs) career. So, you know, um, and that was just because, the guy knew I knew more than him. Yeah. Point, but I didn't even yell at him. Yeah. I just said, you know what? You know, it was a situation. We were out at Wadsworth actually. And, <laughs> and, um, we were, uh, it was a couple, it was two years ago. And, uh, he came down to third base and he came at me and I yeah. said, why are you down here baiting me? Yeah. Don't, I said, I'm in my coach's box. Right. You came at me. And then I yeah. said something back to him under my breath. Yeah. And then he, he pitched, he pitched me, but okay. you know, it is what it is. I don't, yeah. I don't look for that. I don't, I don't like the kids to see that. I don't, right. I don't feel that that's part of the game, yeah. but I also yeah. feel that every once in a while you got to fight for your team. Yeah. Frank, um, going, going back to when you were talking about advantage, disadvantage and, and, and my, my impression was as, as the tournament goes along and the, and the, the quality of play improves that I think referees naturally let people try to play through stuff, which, which I'm okay with. Um, I, I, I guess my, my, my question here is if a team establishes very physical defense early in a game, let, let, let's go back to like Stowe in the 1990s and 2000s and even today. Green, the Green Bulldogs are known as a, a tenacious defensive team. Um, if, if a, or Mentor, Mentor is another one. If a team establishes a physical style of play early, is it your opinion that I don't want to say they'll get away with more, but that the refs will adapt to that over the, over the course of a game? Uh, again, I don't look at it that way. Okay. You know, I don't, when I'm on the court, I don't look at it that way. I, I look at it as play by play situation. Um, you guys yeah. probably put more into that than I do. Okay. Um, you know, when I go onto a floor, you know, I'm going to referee a block charge play in your game the same way as I'm going to referee it, uh, on a Mount Union John Carroll game. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't look at a difference there. Okay. okay? Um, you know, if one team, again, I've, I've refereed many games yeah. where a team is very physical and they're beating the crap out of a team in the first yeah. half and they're yeah. up by 20 and then they, they change what they're doing yeah. and they don't do that in the second half and then they lose by five. Right. Well, yeah. that's the style of play difference. Okay. There. That doesn't have anything to do with the refereeing. Okay. So to answer your question, I don't go out there and I don't yeah. look at it that way. Now, I will tell you mm-hmm. that if I know anything about the teams, yeah. I'm going to say to my crew, hey, listen, watch number five, right. watch number 22. Yeah. You know, a lot of times he'll use his hands to yeah. go get the ball and then he pushes yeah. off. So we'll talk about stuff like that. And okay. if I see that, yeah, we're going to call that. But okay. I don't look at it as a okay. who's more aggressive and who's yeah. not type of basketball game. Okay. Going back to those preconceived kind of pregame talks that you guys have, is that something that you think helps the game or hurts the game? Should should officials just come in like um, on the blind with no preconceived notions, or do those preconceived kind of pregame talks help you guys? I think they help because first of all, you never want to be surprised by anything. Uh-huh. That's the worst. I mean, 
you know, you blow that whistle and you're like, Oh crap. What just, what did I, why did I even blow that whistle? Yeah. Or, you know, or you get, I mean, situation, dead ball refereeing. I'll, I'll bring that up. Yeah. I mean, did, did that guy really throw a punch? Did he land it? Yeah. Did that guy come off the bench? Yeah. Uh, did the coach say what he just said? I mean, yeah. you don't want to get caught off guard on this. So right. I think right. the more you can talk, the more communication you can have about a team, yeah. the better off I think you're going to be at right. the end of the day. Um, right. You know, do you know? am I going to do that on a CYO game? Probably no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. you know, I think, I think yeah. we're helping the game and, and yeah. we're studying the game. We're trying to make it the best right. we can. Right. Frank, your son played uh, for Green this year, and I know he's a he's a college baseball player, but it was really cool. Um, and I was so uh, I don't know why I say this because he's not my son, but I was proud of him just because I love when kids want to be a part of the team and they're kind of a role player and they come back out. Um, so I, I just love that. Um, you know, I like I like a kid who who has the kahunas to go out and do that. And I know he's a college baseball player more than he is a, a, ba- a basketball player. But I'm just curious. You, you you watched a lot of his games. When you were watching the refereeing, um, what did you see that you were excited about, and what did you see that you wished would have been better? You know, this this question might get me in trouble, but you know, I've I've expressed it to other people and you know things like that. Um, I'll, I was surprised by. I didn't see hustle and I didn't see passion on every game. I saw guys out there just kind of going through the motions. Um, And I'm not going to say that about everybody, but I could, I could pick and choose a few guys. Yeah. You know, when you're sitting in the stands watching your son and this is something you do for, you know, fun and you've, and you've taken it seriously. Yeah. I guess I think that those guys should have the same passion and energy that I do, but maybe, maybe that's not a fair statement. Okay. Um, You know, it, it, you know, I, my son didn't play a ton, but you know, he got cut his junior year and then decided yeah. he wanted to work hard and coach Kinsley asked him to come back, which yeah. I respect that. Yeah. And you know, he had his moments. I yeah. mean, you know, there, there were times when the, the crowd was cheering for him to shoot yeah. a three pointer and yeah. he hit a ball and it was, it was nice to see. Yeah. Um, and I, I tried to do what I could to yeah. make sure I was there, but you know, even sitting in the stands, every right. parent in the stands would turn to me and say, "What'd you think of that yeah, play?" Yeah, yeah. And that's not yeah. fair to me because I wanted yeah. to be the fan. I yeah. didn't want to be the referee. In the yeah. Stand. So yeah, you know, to to take it out there. I mean, yeah, those guys, you know, guys miss plays. Sure. Did they miss rules? Sure. Probably. Yeah. There was. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was surprised the number of guys that knew I was at the game and would call me afterwards and say, "What'd you yeah. think?" Yeah. Because you know, some of those guys were, were were pretty good veterans, and I didn't think that they would do that. And sure. Again, like I said earlier, yeah. I wasn't going to be afraid to say something, right? Um, you know, because you know I want to be respected at the same time, and I think yeah. that's why I've done so well at yeah. this is because I've been respected by not only coaches but right. also by my, my my referee peers. Yeah. So Frank, I want to go back to the beginning about what what can we do to change the culture um, at these high school games, especially. To, to to invite more people who love the game to get into it as coaches and, and officials. Because I think, honestly, just, just as we can't find enough good officials, we really can't find enough good coaches either. Because right, the coaches yeah. are the coaches are, are not necessarily getting it from the fans. Well, they are. They do get it from the fans a little bit. But then they get it after the season when Johnny didn't play enough or you had to cut somebody and, and or the season didn't go like we wanted it to go. And I just saw a really good guy get run out up in Sandusky who, who was a legendary coach. And I think from, from, from what I heard, did a pretty good job. I mean, what can we do to change the culture, in your opinion, at, at, since you've been you've been at so many games? I mean, I've coached probably 600 or 700 games, but you've probably refereed a thousand. Yeah, you know. 
I mean, I think we got to start at the younger levels. You know, I, I've always said, why don't they put sports officiating as a physical education class in high school? Yeah. Okay. Make them teach, make them learn that, make them, you know, my, my boys, they like to umpire. Okay. Uh, They haven't shown much interest in basketball officiating and I wasn't going to be the guy that pushed them to do that. Right. But you know, they, for the last two summers, they've umpired baseball games, you know, they make their 40 bucks and yeah. You know, I've been at games where I've seen a couple coaches go a little bit over the top, but yeah. I stood back and I let my, my kids try to figure it out. You right. Know? Right. Um, everybody wants to be coddled that I feel yeah. in this world today yeah. and nobody can accept criticism. Right. And um, you know, I think that's where we got to get back to is right. people have to understand that that's part of life. And, right. you know, <clears throat> I was, I was told right from wrong from the time I was, I can remember till yeah. even to this day, my dad will say something to me, right. but you know, you got to be able to accept that. But yeah. I think putting it into the schools and making it a physical education class, yeah. um, you know, also too, you know, there, there could be a coaching class, how to coach, yeah. um, you know, and maybe you would see more interest there. Right. Um, but I also feel too, that like at the, at the collegiate level, I know some, <clears throat> some schools do have that, yeah. but I think it should be a mandate. Right. I think it should be a mandate. Make, give me an extracurricular class that I yeah. might actually be able to do something with Exactly. versus making me take a, a class on Western call or Eastern Civ that I'm yeah. never going to use the rest of my life. Right. You know, that's, that's how I've always kind of viewed stuff yeah. like that. And, may, and maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's a good starting point. Yeah. Um, I also feel that, you know, maybe um, I know Nick cream does a good job with um, yeah. the CYO class that he teaches. Right. right. And he brings in the younger officials there. Yeah. You know, maybe we could start more of that at, at the AAU level in the summertime. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think too, once, when the kids start seeing they're making a little bit of money, right. That incents them a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. who wants, who wants to go to a gym and learn how to referee if there's right. no incentive. Right. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and, and for a lot of these kids, it, it could become a job for them yeah. uh, versus working at McDonald's for eight fifty an hour. Yeah. You know, I'd rather make 20 bucks an hour than eight fifty bucks, eight fifty yeah. an hour. Frank, we only yeah. have a few minutes left, but I want to I want to get into two last questions. Um, one is how, how did you de-escalate? How did you de-escalate the situations when people met you at your car? Is the first one, and so that so that I don't lose the other one is what are you most proud about about your officiating career? So let, let's start with the meeting meeting people at the, at your car. That's pretty scary, man. Yeah, actually, it happened. It was it was at your place is when it happened. Um, we you know it was a tough game and yeah. Um, you know, someone got thrown out of the game and, and it happened to be a coach's wife or girlfriend. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I just, I just thought to myself, you know, I, I knew that there was probably going to be a problem. I thought about it in the locker room. And yeah. when I got out to the car, I just, I just kind of talked my way out of it. I said, yeah. listen, we can sit here and do this, but yeah. at the end of the day, it ain't going to be good for you. And it ain't going to be good for me. Right. And then I kind of, yeah. you know, this person I happen to know for a long time. And I, okay. I threw a comment out there like, Hey, I've known you for X amount of years. And this is, right. this is how you want to treat me now. Right. And, uh, I think it, I think that diffused the situation, okay. you know, um, it's, you know, you never want to, you never want to result to any violence in this yeah. because yeah. you know, you're going to, the referees are always going to be at fault. I don't yeah. care how you look at it. Right. You know, right. um, there's even, there's even state law out there right now that they're trying right. to pass that, yeah. you know, makes us, makes it more of a felony that if, right. if we get assaulted, yeah. you know, we're more protected because right. 10 years ago, we, we really, it was a misdemeanor, yeah. you know? And I mean, anybody could go off on us. I, I was at a game at, in a city game, uh-huh. probably in my first three to five years. Right. And uh, my partner made a bad call in the game yeah. and the coach immediately went, went ballistic. This was a JV game. Yeah. 
the only thing I knew what to do is blow my whistle and call a technical foul to get his attention to me yeah. versus my partner. Right. Well, I got to mid-court. I started reporting the foul, and this guy got on my face, and he didn't like it, and he spit in my face. Wow. So I threw him out of the game. Yeah. So as we were walking out of yeah. the um, gym, you know, uh, this gym had a main gym followed by an auxiliary gym. Yeah. And the police officer said, hey, listen, sir, if you don't knock it off, we're going to take you downtown. And yeah. so we went out to our car after the game, and I'm always one that, you know, pays attention to my surroundings. So I saw this red car with lights on, yeah. and I thought, I wonder if that guy's in that car. Yeah. So as I was driving home, yeah. he kind of, this car was following me, and then I, I picked up on it. Yeah. And I wrote the license plate number down. And this was back when we really didn't have cell phones, or if you used them, you only used them for emergency because it was too expensive to, to make a phone call on. And the next morning, I called the city director, and I said, listen, this is what happened. I think this guy followed me home. Here's a license plate number. Ended up being this guy, his main job was an Akron fireman, and uh, he got let go the next day from the Akron Fire Department, and he was never allowed to coach in the city again. Wow. So, wow. you know, stuff like that is, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know. Um, Frank, what's your, what, Frank, what's your proudest moment in officiating over, I mean, you've had a great career and you're still going to be doing it for a while. So I'm not trying to wrap, I'm not trying to wrap your career right. up for you, but I'm just curious, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you reflect on as far as a really cool memory? Um, one of the coolest memories I have was, um, I don't remember the exact year, but I was refereeing in the horizon league and I got asked to referee the NCAA all-star game. And it was at the Conseco field house in Indiana. Wow. And, you got you guys probably remember Mike Roberts. Yeah. Um, Mike got in. Mike got in Division One about the same time, and it was myself, him, and a guy by the name of John Hampton out of Kentucky, and <clears throat> we got to go to the Conseco Fieldhouse. Well, the funny story was is I drove to Dayton the night before and drove halfway. Well, my window got busted into in the parking lot. Okay. So Mike met me in Dayton, and then we drove over together. And when I got to the arena, uh, we had to call Safe Light, and they had to you know fix my window while the game was going on. So I guess it was probably a good thing because I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But when I was, you know, we got to referee the game and I saw Larry Bird there. I, you know, all these, all these division one players were there that was, yeah. you know, the top guys in the country. I mean, you walked around the arena and there was just, you know, so it was, it was fun. And to be on national TV to me, that was one of the yeah. biggest uh, accomplishments I think that I, that I've right. ever had. Yeah. Um, but on, after the game was over, we were sitting there and uh, I was waiting on my car to be fixed. Yeah. And here walked up Muhammad Ali walked up and I got to meet him. So oh my I felt that that was, that was pretty, That's that really was pretty neat, neat to, to meet him. Yeah. And I shook his hand and, you know, at that point he was still, he was still himself, but you could yeah. tell there was his, his, you know, his memory wasn't all there and everything else, but yeah. he greeted us that he watched the game and it was kind of a cool moment for me. And, um, you know, the, uh, the other, the other nice part was, you know, when my, when my kids were old enough and I won't mention the game, but all three of them got to come to a game and, yeah. you know, someone special was in the stands and, yeah. and they got to meet him afterwards. So I thought that that was pretty cool too, that, yeah. you know, because of refereeing, my boys got to meet you yeah. know, that individual. Yeah. And I'm, 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 ass, I'm assuming that was probably either TK Griffith or Scott Callahan that they met. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming that if Hoban was in that game, Hoban lost that game, but um, yeah. that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Frank, I want to have you on again sometime. Um, and we're on a, a little bit of a time crunch today, ladies and gentlemen, here at Brook Point Studios. But I really want to uh, thank you, um, Frank. Um, Scott, do you want to wrap up on your end before I wrap up? No, I would just say, you know, TK and I have talked about this before, but 
um, officials are as important to the game as are players and coaches and administrators and parents. And we mean that sincerely. And it's just such a great feeling as a coach when you walk into uh, a gym and you see who's on your crew and you know that these guys are highly professional. They love the game. They care about kids and they just want things to go smoothly. And Frank, in so many ways, you're, you're a teacher coach, even though your role is a little bit different, but thanks so for your time and all that you're doing and you continue to do to mentor young referees. Yeah. Appreciate Frank, that, Scott. Thank you. Thank you uh, for sharing, I think, a, a different perspective and hopefully some teachers and coaches, but especially some basketball coaches will listen to this and kind of hear that other side of the equation that we oftentimes don't think about. I think in many ways, um, I think coaches and officials are, are very, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but we're very unselfish people. And then we're also very selfish people. And when, when you're at a game, um, when, when you're at a game, uh, as a coach, you, you, I guess you almost have to be selfish because you want to do the best you can for your team. So you're just thinking of yourself and you're thinking of your team. And that's what I mean by that, that it's, I guess that might be a good selfishness and we forget the humanity involved in the guys wearing the stripes or the girls wearing the stripes. And I think um, referees and coaches, you know, can work together to, to, to continue to provide these life lessons that young athletes can get out of this experience. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to thank you both for having me. And I'd also like to throw it out there to any other coaches that are listening, you know, um, TK and I, we actually did this uh, several years ago where, you know, he didn't understand some things in the game that was going on. And it was a big game for him. It was the first time he was playing in the Division I uh, district final. And, um, you know, he didn't understand some of the calls in the game. And I think coaches have to understand that I would be more than happy, you know, send me a play or the game. Um, we're human too. We're not – I think too many times we're looked at as enemies. Like, you know, I'm out to get you and you're out to get me. That should never be the case. But I think sometimes it is perceived that way. So, you know, I would, I would, I would put it out there to any coach that's listening. If you ever want me to talk about a play or, or review a play, I'm not going to uh, get debate with it. I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you what I see, but I also have to realize that there's other parts of the game that come into play. Um, I'd also think that, you know, it sure would be nice if we could get back to, I know we're all busy and we all have our lives, but back in the day, you know, we used to do a referee coach golf outing, um, and it really let coaches and referees see the other side because a lot of times we don't, you know, TK and I, we have a relationship. So I've known him for, you know, 20 plus years and, you know, that's the one side, but there's other coaches. All I know them is the coach. I only know them is when I walk in that gym. And I think that sometimes if we could build relationships outside of the game, that might help the game at the same time, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. That, that does Frank. And I, I always appreciated you getting together with me after that um, game a couple years ago. And I think, um, as coaches, we have a hard time letting go of stuff, but there, there's so much that occurs in a basketball game that's out of our control. Um, and whether we agree with an official call or, you know, the decision that our player made, um, or, and, and sometimes the game might be dictated just on, on a centimeter, you know, the, a, a couple shots that were just short or just long, or maybe even where the referee was stationed and what he saw. And that, that's something I want to get into the next time we, we, we talk, Frank, because I think people don't understand when you're sitting in the stands and, and you're still, you can see everything. But when you're running up and down like a referee is, they have different angles on on, on, on the game and, and they're physically um, 
may be limited by what they can see per site or they can see it better also which is another angle that that we as coaches and fans have to understand but i do appreciate you getting together with me a couple years ago and going over that game tape and i certainly understood uh both perspectives on that one i still wanted to win the game but we we we, we, we lost even after a nice focaccio chicken sandwich over at panera i still realized we lost the game uh, but that's okay we're gonna win the battle of life and the, the win the battle of teaching and coaching you have to have a good relationship with officials and that's why we are uh, extremely blessed and lucky that we were able to spend this time with Frank McHale thank you very much Frank